Morning, family. Good to see you all this morning. I uh, want to say thanks to Sishle for being service director. It's his first time today. And uh, so, won't you give him a round of applause for his appreciation? But even more important for those of you that may not know, earlier this month, Sishle and Letitia had the arrival in their home of a new, brand new little baby boy, Joshua Lutando Caesar Dlamini. So, <laughs> we congratulate you. It's such a wonderful, wonderful joy to. I haven't met him yet, so I'm looking forward to meeting him soon. Today, as Ben said, we're starting with our time. Oh, I want to say hello, Pastor Anne Griffin, all the way from Texas, one of our friends that's visiting with us. Great to have you with us. Please welcome so much. Uh, today, we're starting with our series on God Speaks, and we want to talk about the value and the importance of the, of the reality that God speaks to us even today. How many of you believe God still speaks to His children today? If you don't believe that, I hope I can change your mind, and uh, not just theologically, but experientially also. And uh, we want to not only talk about the fact that God speaks, but also later on in our series, we want to get some practical about how God speaks and, and the different ways of how do we know it's His voice when we speak. But today, I want to try and create the platform or the, the beginning understanding so that we can go on this journey together. And uh, I want to start right off the bat and say God speaks because He is relational. So often when we consider the idea that God speaks, it's in the context of wanting to know to, how to do something or what to do. So often when we People come and say, can you help me hear God speak? It's because they need an answer for something. It may be that they need some direction in their life, or they may need to make a decision, or they, they're wanting to understand something, and they, they want God to speak to them because they need direction, information, understanding, or just to make a decision. But I want to say to you today, that's not the first reason why God speaks. God doesn't just speak so that we can know His will. God speaks so that we can know Him. God is a relational God, and He speaks because speaking is so vital to relationship. God made us so He could speak to us. God made you so He could speak to you. It's His desire to speak to us. And perhaps one of the ways that we can come close to that and, and that I would like to use as an illustration this morning so that it stirs the right places in our hearts is to liken it to how we speak as parents to our children. I mean, in the end of the day, when God defines His relationship with us, He uses the language of He is a father and we are His children. That's how he describes his relationship with us. There's many ways he could have described his relationship with us. He could have said, I'm a boss and you are my workers. He could have said, I'm a commander and you are my soldiers. But no, he says, I am a father and you are my children. So perhaps when we approach it from our incomplete angle as, as, as children and as parents to say, if we look at the dynamics within that, we start getting perhaps some sense of what this relationship is about and how this hearing of the voice of God works. Uh, Shakespeare said that the voice of parents is as the voice of God's. My children don't believe that. I'm going to make a poster of this and put it behind every one of their bedroom walls. I think he was just trying to capture this, that there's a need in all of us to hear the voice of God. And sometimes the closest we can get to that is actually the voices of our parents. Parents' voices are so 
valuable in a child's life. You know, a parent's voice is not like rain that falls on the life of a child. That it falls and then tomorrow it's gone, it just disappears. Somebody says it's more like seed. That every time you speak to your child as a parent, you are imparting seed into their life. That seed may lie there, may lie dormant for a long time. But eventually that seed will grow. It will produce something after its own kind. And it will produce fruit. And sometimes that means something gets repeated. If you think about it in your own life, how your parents' voice, you still hear today. You can be, your parents may have passed on. My dad has has been uh, with the Lord longer than what I've known him. He died in 1986. So I've been alive much longer without him than I was with him. But I still hear his voice. I still have moments when I'm speaking to my children and I stop in the mid-sentence and I go, I'm sounding just like my dad. (laughs) Are you so aware of your parents' voice? Our, Our parents' voices become so valuable in our lives. It's one of the key fundamental formations of our lives. It's one of those places where so much in our lives is established. It's through the voices of our parents. It's this constant seed that gets planted. Those that studied these things say there are predominantly three things, three primary things that get shaped in our lives through the voices of our parents. The first thing is their words affect how we feel about ourselves. The definition we have of who I am, the first contributor towards that is our parents' voices. Or whoever represents that role in our lives of a parent. gets How I think about myself, so much of that is actually the repetition of the, my voice, of, of the voice of my parents. How I perceive their voice, how I received it, what it sat with in my heart, the seeds that I received, forms how I see myself so often. Secondly, they say their words affect how we feel about them. So it's how do I feel about myself, how I view myself. My parents' voice is such a big contributor towards that. But also how I feel about them gets shaped by their voice towards me. And what is that voice, and what is that voice telling me? The third thing is, their voices affect how we value and treat other people. One of the key things we learn from our parents is not just who we are, who they are, but it's who everybody else is, and how do I relate to other people? Perhaps you can recognize your parents saying some things to you. Perhaps your parents said to you, sharing is caring. My, my parents often had to say that when it came to ice cream. Because I would always have the real valid reasons. I'm four years older than my brother. And that in and of itself means the last ice cream belongs to me. I should have double the rights to ice cream than he should have. And I would always be able to give them all the reasons why I deserve the ice cream and all the reasons that he definitely does not deserve the ice cream. But my parents would often say, sharing is caring. Boys never hit girls. If it's not fun for all, it's not fun at all. It's not the end of the world. Be kind. Wait your turn. If at first you don't succeed, try again. It's okay to fail. It's okay to feel sad, depressed, disappointed, or frustrated. But it's not okay to take it out on somebody else. 
It's always best to tell the truth. Forgive him. It was a tough one sometimes. This, how about this? Did your parents ever say something like this to you? You are not the center of the universe. <laughs> I know when little babies get born, little Joshua in the Dlamini house is the center of their household right now. Their older sisters are just so excited that they've got a little baby brother that they can mother. And it, that he's, I mean, he determines, but how many of you know that there's going to come a day when Cecily is going to sit him down and say, you are not the center of the universe. And perhaps he'll say that for his own sake also. It may not be nice to hear some of these things, that, but it's so necessary, isn't it? That our parents help us understand our place in the world, who we are, who they are, and who other people are. And how to value and treat them. This is what the voice of a parent does. Our parents' voices give us the what of this world. They give us the where of this world. They give us a context to live our lives in. In our homes, it creates a context where we hear their voices. So much of our communication within our families happen, not just verbally, but we are speaking to each other through our space, through how we arrange our lives and the context we create. I know for Natasha, it was always so important. One of the things that her and I wouldn't always see eye to eye on well, she had this philosophy that a Friday you don't mess with the children. In, in, in the sense that you leave them alone. It's their day. So we always had in our house Friday afternoon when the kids came home from school, lunch would be ready on the table. They didn't have to come and sit and eat it. They could just grab, it was normally something like a hot dog or a boudoir roll or something like that. They could just grab it, go eat and play and do what they want. And I was not allowed, and this is the part where we got, didn't see always eye to eye. I was not allowed to give them duties on that day. I was not allowed to ask them to help me with anything. Or I was not. It was supposed to be their day where they just felt, and the whole day was arranged so that they could have a sense of, we've worked hard, they could watch television, they weren't allowed to watch television during the week, but on a Friday they could watch television, they could watch their shows, they could play, they could do whatever. Because it created a bit of a context for them. It's one of the ways we did, and every family has their own ways. But in our speaking, we also gave them texture. So we gave them the what, the text. This is what life is about. And we would consistently impart to them, teach them as best as we can. This is how life works. And we would do that as Christian parents from a biblical base. We would give them the, the text, the what of life. We would give them a context that helped them to experience and live and, ex and, and try and understand how life works. And then we gave them texture. Texture would be what it feels, what life is supposed to feel like. And that's how often the tone of our voice, the volume of our voice becomes so important. And when God speaks to us, He speaks to us as a father. When He made us, He said, I am your father. And He created for us a world and He tells us what life is all about. He gives us the text of life, the logos. But He also tells us, He gives us a context. For Adam and Eve, He made a context for them to experience life. He not only said to them, listen, this is life, this is how you live life. He created a space for them to start experiencing how He wants life to be lived. And He made all this beautiful food and the flowers. Isn't it amazing the texture, the, oh, the, the context that God gives us to live in? All these amazing things. So that the scripture says when we look up at the stars, we say, wow, our God is a big God. Because context gives us that. 
But then he also comes and he gives us texture. He comes and he lets us feel him. And it was so beautiful how if we read the story of Genesis, in that revelation that God gives us, that he tells us so much about himself right from the beginning. And this is the fantastic thing about our father is that he says, I want you to know me. So he talks to us all the time. He communicates to us all the time. Whether it's through his voice, through his actions, through the creation, he's consistently telling us, this is who I am. I want you to know me. So he created Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden. And he was communicating, imparting to them the whole time this relationship between father and children. And one of the beautiful things that God used to do that used to be his habit, as we read in Genesis, was he would send them off in the day and they would go and explore the garden and they would name the animals and they would experience all these beautiful things about this place that he made for them. But when it came to early evening, late afternoon, you know that time of the day when the sun is soft and the colors are filling the sky and it's sort of that quiet time. God would come and meet with them somewhere in the garden. And he would walk into the garden and, and perhaps he taught them how to make coffee or tea. He showed them, you know that tree and if you take the, 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 that tree and the, you take the seed off of it, you crush it and and he taught them how to make good coffee. That's why there's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. That's a very bad joke. <laughs> it's biblical. I don't drink coffee, but you know, I, I can have space for this theology. So God would come and, and perhaps he taught them how to bake a cake. And in the afternoon, God comes and sits with them and somewhere in the garden they have coffee and cake. And they chat with one another. And they tell him about the day. And the things they saw and experienced. And, and perhaps God used those opportunities to, to subtly teach them something and to give them information. And they would say, wow, today we, we saw this animal and it was quite amazing. We, and then God would say, you don't know why I made it like this? And he would impart to them. And, and this relationship, this would happen. But then we read in Genesis 3 verse 9 of what I want to say, the saddest day on our planet. The day when it all changed. On that day when the enemy came and lied to Satan, ach, to Adam and Eve. And he, what he essentially said to them is, God can't be trusted. Did God really say to you that if you eat of this tree, you'll surely die? Let me tell you, he's holding out on you. He's not telling you the whole truth. You can't trust him. You can't believe everything he says. He's, he's giving you half information. He's got an agenda. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's lying to you. You can't trust his voice. And they believed it. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it became later that day and the sun was going down. There was a quiet over the land. The colors were filling the sky. And God did what he did every other day. He would come and walk in the garden. And in Genesis 3, verse 9, we read, Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Perhaps this is not the first time that he called to them because they were busy, and, but they would always come. Yeah, here we are. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced this when you come home 
and you walk into a house and, you, and there's nobody. You can't see anybody. And you say, hey, where are you? And then you hear a little giggle. <laughs> Somebody's snickering. And then you know the children are hiding. But they're hiding not because they don't want to see you. They, they're actually wanting to heighten the moment of joy when you're reunited and see one another. And they actually want you to go looking for them, to find them. And, and they forget that this is your house that you built and you lived in long before them. You know all the hiding places. But you hear a hee And then you search and then you find one another. This was not that. Perhaps God, if I really humanize it, walking says, where are you? There's silence. And perhaps his heart starts going, something's not quite right. What happened? And he keeps on searching for them, but they're hiding. Hiding because they don't want to be with him. Hiding because something has happened and they're not feeling comfortable in his presence anymore. And verse 10 says, Adam replied, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. In the New King James and the King James translation, it says, I heard your voice and I hid. What a sad day. When the one who made us, who loves us, who created us to speak to us when we hide from His voice. When we say, I don't want to hear your voice any longer. Right there, the whole meaning of creation is changed. The whole idea is compromised. Don't we hid from you. And the reason they hid is they said, I was afraid, so they experienced fear because I was naked. So they experienced two emotions at that point suddenly. Fear. Where did fear come from? Fear came from, we can't trust you. You lied to us. You didn't tell us the truth. Now we're afraid of you. And the second emotion was shame. And because of that break and that mistrust, they saw themselves differently than they've ever done before. Because let me ask you this question. How long have they been naked up until this point? Was this a new development? Were they swimming and Eve took Adam's clothes and hid it behind the tree? Or did they get struck by lightning and suddenly their clothes evaporated? Or did something happen? Or have they been naked all along? So nothing changed. It wasn't suddenly that God looked at them and said, Ooh, sorry. I knew something wasn't right. I always felt this was a little awkward. No, he's been seeing them naked all along. And according to him, nothing's changed. But something in them changed. And somebody said, shame comes upon us when sin becomes our identity. Shame comes upon us when sin becomes our identity. You see, I can feel ashamed of something I did. When I feel ashamed of something I did, I know I didn't live up to what I could be or what I should do. I didn't live up to expectations, and I feel ashamed that I didn't. But that's a temporary condition. Because I have a standard, and I didn't live up to that standard. I feel ashamed. I feel lack. But to feel shame is to feel I am not good enough. It's a different thing. 
And this is what Adam and Eve entered into that place at that moment. They said, we are not good enough. We are naked. We are not sufficient. And you know what they did? They went and got some fig leaves, sewed them together to try and hide their nakedness, to try and pretend, to not let God see. But it became their identity. And this is the thing that happened with us on that day. From the moment we believed God cannot be trusted, we opened ourselves up to shame. And I know Pastor Ian shared the word in the, on the ministry mic about how the accuser of the brethren came. And he accuses us. And this is the power of his voice is he says, you are shameful. God made you to be good, to be perfect, to be something, and you're not it. You have failed. You are a disaster. Or, he says, you are perfect. You don't need God. However, he does that, but he gives us false information, and he basically at the bottom line says, you can't trust God. You can't trust God. And the moment that happened in our lives, it compromised those three dynamics. God, who tells me who I am, I can't trust him to tell me who I am. I can't trust him to say, this is who I am. God tells me who He is. I can't trust Him to tell me who He is. He's, he's lying to me. He's got some agenda. He's keeping information away from me. And thirdly, he, I can't trust Him to tell me who other people are and how do I relate and value other people. I can't trust Him. And everything changes. And from that point on, we looked elsewhere to try and figure out who am I? Who is that which is above me? Where do I come from? What has given rise to me? What do I look up to? I try and define that from a different place, and I, and I, and I find a different definition for who, how other people is. And right now, we live in a very interesting world, where through process of time, we have come to the conclusion in the Western world, particularly in Western popular culture, that there's only one voice that you can trust to tell you who you are, who those above you are, and who other people are. And that's your own voice. We have come to believe that the only voice we can trust is my voice. It's only me that can determine who I am. It's only me that can tell me this is who I am. This is my gender. This is how I should feel about myself. This is how I should feel about life. It's only my voice that can tell me how I should feel about God. And if there is a God, it's my voice. It's my decision. And it's only my voice that can tell me how other people should be treated. And I use lots of information outside of myself, and I use lots of things, but I pick and choose what I like according to what is congruent with my voice. So we have put ourselves in that space where we determine our voice becomes the most important voice. And we've separated from ourselves an outside voice, an authoritative voice, a, a godly voice that says, this is who you are. This is who I am. And this is how this world was created and everything that lives in it. And this is how you're supposed to relate to everything outside of yourself. We, we've changed that. And that, my friends, 
is a very scary place to be. To think that your voice is the only trustworthy voice. I don't know how you feel about that. But that does not make me feel very secure and comfortable. Because as, as silly as I am and as little as I know, I know this. I lie. I deceive. I massage truth. I make things to suit me. I am sometimes the center of the universe. I also know that there's so many things about life I don't understand. I don't know. I don't, can't figure it out. To look up and to try and describe God from my perspective becomes a very difficult job. To really see something bigger than me, I end up describing God just according to me. And he ends up being just a little bit of a better version than what I am. My ideal self becomes what I describe God as. And others I describe according to me. How much I need them is how much I value them. How much they threaten me is how much I devalue them. These are all the realities that I come with and I, I feel very insecure. And we're living in a world that insecurity is becoming just a regular experience of the day. But there's hope for us. Because God didn't leave us in this state. One day a baby was born. And God himself in the form of the son. Isn't it beautiful? The father sent his son to come and live on earth. So that in their relationship we could see how it was all supposed to work. And we see the Father and the Son relate to one another. Physically, visibly with our eyes, we could see it. It was recorded for us. We can read it today, how the Father and the Son speaks to one another. And, and I want to just highlight two events, and then I'm finished. Two events in Jesus' life that sort of bookended his ministry, his public ministry. At the beginning, before Jesus started doing anything publicly, before his miracles, before he became a public figure, something happened. And right towards the end, at the transfiguration, on, on, uh, when, you know, when that moment when Jesus, his glory was seen, just before he was crucified, it happened again. So it's sort of the two ends of his ministry almost. In Matthew 3, verse 17, we read these words at the baptism of Jesus. As Jesus was being baptized, an audible voice, a voice that could be heard by people, said the following. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. In I love him, with him I am well pleased. The father said this. Isn't it fantastic that he said this about his son before he did anything? Before he achieved his purpose, before he, he did a miracle, before he healed anybody, before he went and died on the cross, the father says, this is my son. God settles his relationship status with Jesus. He says, this is my son. I want everybody to know. He says it out loud so that everybody could hear it. This is my son. This is how our Father communicates. He, he looks at every person that He's made and He says, You are my child. You are my child. Don't let the voice of shame be your identity. You are my child. He owns you. 
He owns you. There's not a person that walks this planet that God disassociates himself from and says, I have nothing to do. I don't know where that one came from. I don't know how that person came on this planet. Alien invasion. There's no person like that. God says of every person, I made you. I purposed you. I planned you. You carry my image. Every single person. Can you hear that in your own heart today? Without any description about what you've done in life, how you've failed, how you've succeeded, without any, any knowledge of who you are, you are my beloved child, God says. He says that about Jesus at his baptism. And then Jesus lives close to three years. And he does everything the Father wants him to do. And at the end of his life, and he has relationship with the Father, in Matthew 17, verse 5, at the Mount of Transfiguration, again we hear this audible voice that says, in verse 5, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then he adds this part that wasn't in the first sentence. He adds it, listen to him. Not only do I own this person, not only do I validate them in the sense that they please me, they are mine and I find pleasure in them, but he also adds that they speak, this person, this son of mine speaks on my behalf. I want to tell you, those three things are still true for us today. It's what the Father is saying to each of us. I love you. You are my child. I own you. You have a place with me. You belong to me. You are not a failure. You are not outside. You are mine. I made you. My disposition towards you is I am pleased with you. Now, I know everything I do doesn't please God. A lot of what I do doesn't please God. But I know this about him. He wants to be pleased with me. He's working in my life so that I can please him. And that pleasing him is not, first of all, an action. It's about my position in him. That when I said, Lord Jesus, I give you my life, he says, now I see you as I see my son in who I am well pleased. And that becomes the words over my life. And as I surrender my life to him, and as I am his disciple and follows him, he says, listen to him or to her. When you hear them speak, you hear me speak. That's the voice of God that enters into my life, takes hold of me. Every single one of us, alive on this planet, hears the voice that shames us all the time. Every single day. It's become the noise of this world that shames us all the time. The devil comes to us, the accuser of the brethren, and he says, God can't be trusted. And he tries to instill fear in us. So that when we fail, we run away from God instead of towards him. So that when we fail and when we see the shame, when we see the reason and we feel some form of guilt, then instead of running towards our Father, we try and cover ourselves with fig leaves. We try and make and we pretend like we've got it all together and we run away from him. And we hide, and he looks for us, and he says, where are you? And you say, I am afraid because I'm naked. I'm not good enough. And he says, who told you so? Who told you? 
And it's at that point where you and I have the choice. Which, which voice are we going to listen to? The voice of our father or the voice of the accuser? The challenge is just this. This voice of the accuser, the voice that carries shame, is so loud. We're so conditioned towards it. We so hear it. We hear it every, we hear every little nuance of that voice. We hear its tone. We hear its inflection. We hear that voice to the detail. We are so sensitive to that voice. But the voice that says, you are my beloved child in who I am well pleased. That voice is a whisper. And we struggle to hear that voice. That's why it was so fantastic this week, and I so enjoyed it. Thank you to Pastor Jack that wrote for us this beautiful time of, of being, just having contemplation over this week. And I so often heard as I was just sitting quietly, in some way or another, the Father saying to me, I love you. And do you know I need to hear that every day? Not because I need to know that God still remembers that He loves me, but because I've got so many reasons to not feel like I'm loved. But this voice of shame can only be silenced by the voice of the spirit of adoption that cries, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You are my Father. It's this voice that comes inside of us and reaches through all the nonsense and through all the lies and all the stuff. And it says, you are my Father. You have claimed me as yours and I claim you as mine. You are my father. Which voice are we going to listen to? As an individual, which voice are you going to listen to? As a church community, which voice are we going to listen to? Are we going to allow God to tell us who we are, who I am? Am I going to allow God to tell me who he is? And am I going to allow God to tell me who everybody else and this planet and this creation is? And he does it through his word. And we believe in his word. We believe in the inerrant Scriptures, the Word of God that is the inspiration and that carries not first of all the instruction, but the heart of this is who our God is. And that's where we go first. We go to the Word. And together as a community, we stand on the Word and we become the voice of God to each other that we can hear and speak. And we don't get it right a lot of the time. But as we work with the Spirit of God, more and more the voice of God becomes louder and clearer. So that I can hear the voice of God also. And sometimes it's through the community. Sometimes it's on my own. I have to have both of those avenues that God speaks to me. But then I can become the voice that the Father says when He sends you out this afternoon into the world. He says, listen to my child. They know me. They know me. They can speak like I speak. They can say what I want to say. They can say it where I want them to say it, and they can say it the way I want them to say it. Let's stand together. So let's, let's be honest with one another here today. You could have been saved and been a child of the Lord Jesus and heard God's voice for the last 50 years. But perhaps there's still the voice of shame somewhere broadcasting in your life. Perhaps there's still 
a parent's voice or a sibling's voice or another person's voice that, that is so loud in your life that every time you hear something, you react according to that voice. But can we today say, Lord, I want to hear your voice. And you know, this is the fantastic thing about God. Because he wants you to know him, you may think you do not know his voice and you don't hear him. But I promise you, you hear him. He's speaking to you all the time. One day you will recognize, wow, how much he's been speaking. So I have the confidence that without knowing you, I can say, right now, God can speak to you. This is, this is just a human building with human people. I'm just a human. I'm, you know, my word is not authoritative in terms of it being God's voice. But I believe in this moment God can speak to you. So can I ask you, just open your heart right now. Say, Lord, speak to me. I want to know your voice. I want to hear the whisper louder than I hear the roar. Louder than any other voice, I want to hear your voice. Tell me who I am, Lord. I give you the right. I say I trust you. Speak to me. I trust you. You can tell me who I am, Lord. I trust you. I don't trust myself, but I trust you. I tell you, Lord, you can tell me who you are. I trust you. And you can tell me who others are and how to value them and how to relate. I trust you, Lord. I give you that place in my life. Speak to me, Lord. Speak to me. Come, Holy Spirit. Just be quiet for a moment. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. In this moment. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to take a stand right now against the voice of the accuser. Lord, we are all fallible in this room. We all make so many mistakes. We do horrible things. We miss it so much. But I thank you, Lord, that that doesn't change who I am. That's my condition. That's what I do. But who I am is I am made by you. I am your child. I can always run to you. In that moment where I failed the worst, where I'm feeling the most shame I've ever felt in my life, in that moment I can run to you and put my arms around you and say, you are my father. And I will hear nothing else from you but say, you are my child. I never have to be afraid of you. You will speak truth to me. You will tell me how bad my sin is. You will tell me how horrible I've missed it. You will make me understand how far I've fallen. But you will do it because you love me. And because you have made me. And you know what I am capable of and who I can be. I trust your voice. Come, Father. I want to invite you this morning. We would love to pray with you as I bring this service to an end. We would love to pray with you. If you don't know 
that Father's voice that says, I love you. If you've never accepted the Lord Jesus, because that's the beginning point, is to say, Lord, in Jesus' death on the cross, I see how much you love me. If you've never accepted that death as a personal act that God did for you, if you've never appropriated that to yourself, if you've never owned that and say, this is for me, can I ask you this morning to come to the front and let us pray with you and help you take that and say, it's my Father that did this for me. You may even be in a place where you know that Jesus loves you and you have owned that and appropriated that to your life, but you're struggling and shame is defining you because of your failure. And, and come this morning and let us just pray with you. And we can't solve your problems in this one moment. We cannot just pray one prayer and, and everything is possibly fine. And, and, but we can pray for you and we can reinforce God's voice to say, God loves you. Lord, I pray that every person in this place today, that as we leave this room, we thank you for this moment that we can have. But I thank you even more that your voice goes with us. That tomorrow when I fail and when I feel that pain of failure, I can say, thank you, Father, you love me. And that doesn't mean I don't have to deal with my failure. That gives me the strength so I can deal with my failure. Because it becomes a failure. It's not who I am. I pray that for every person here today. Lord, bless us as we go. Bless us, Lord, as we step out. Help us to carry your voice, not an accuser's voice, but your voice into our city, into our streets, and into our nation, we pray. Right now, before I dismiss the crowd, if you need to come forward for prayer this morning, won't you come? Take your belongings and come. Because in a moment I'm going to let people go and then the flow is going that way and then you may find it difficult to come this way. So I want to give you a moment first. Come. Come. We're going to sing a song. We're going to end with a song and while just allow people to come. And can I ask the congregation, if you're going to leave right now, please do so. Just with a sense of grace. Being thankful for what God has done in your life and allowing space for others to allow God to do something in their life. May the voice of the Lord be with us every single day, every moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. Have a fantastic day. Please come forward for prayer. We have baptism taking place to my right in the functions hall. You go to that area and then you can be baptized also if you want to do that today. But if you have need in prayer, please come and let us pray with you this morning. Thanks, Chris.